Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. He's over in Beijing. He's covering the Olympics. His thoughts on the Canadian curlers getting just one medal at the Games. And how is it over there? Plus, Cole Adamson joins the show. He's a Manitoba Bison defensive lineman, and he's received an invite to the CFL National Combine. We'll talk about that on the podcast. Overseas, we head through the magic of technology, and we connect with our friend Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. Ted is in Beijing covering the Olympics. And Ted, how are you doing tonight? Slash, It's this morning for you, Saturday, right? You bet. It's 9.30 Saturday morning, and uh, I'm doing great. And I can at least say uh, there's, you know, not everything's been perfect in China, but it is not a blizzard. And uh, that's one thing that Winnipeg has had far too many of this year. There's no doubt about that. Right. So let's just start with uh, the fact that it is almost all artificial snow at the Olympics over there. I've seen it. It's cold there. But how much have you actually been able to go outside in your time there? Um, not much, to be honest. Um, you know, the, it depends on the events that you're covering, of course, but I've been at the curling rink most of the days. So obviously I'm not outside there. Uh, you, you know, you can't really go, uh, you can't go out for a walk really anywhere. As soon as you exit the hotel, it's a, there's a large fence. I mean, it is right there. You can't go out on the public street at all. You have to get on a bus, which then takes you to the main press center and then you can go to a venue from the main press center on a different bus. Um, there's really only one little park that's in front of the main press center where you're allowed to go and walk and get a little bit of free space. Otherwise, you know, the times you're outside for me anyways is kind of when you're waiting for a bus. Um, and it's different for other people. I have a colleague who's up in the mountains and of course, with the mountain events, you're you, you're spending your time outside while you're watching the events and you're waiting to talk to people in the mix zone outside. And that's probably nice for the fresh air part, but it's extremely cold up in the mountains as well. So that is not so fun. <laughs> so uh, how have your uh, how have the conditions been in terms of covering the games in a, in a COVID environment compared to how they've been for you at past games? Yeah, not uh, it. You know, it's not uh, it's not the greatest. Uh, it's it's difficult because realistically, we travel all the way here, and we're in Beijing, which is you know a great, immense city. Uh, the Great Wall of China is nearby, um, and and there's a lot of landmarks in the city. We, we can't go see them. You know, you can't really experience what being in Beijing is like. It's just really. Uh, staying within the closed loop, which is just Olympic-related spots. Uh, so you can get on a bus that travels across the city to go to a venue, and you can see some different parts of it, but that's really the extent of it. They have actually had some media tours to the Great Wall of China, but that's sort of uh, predicated on if you don't have something to cover at that moment and you have to win a lottery to be able to get on that tour. So I haven't had that pleasure. It doesn't look like I will. Uh, that's a bit unfortunate. And, you know, like I say, at the other events that I've been to, the other uh, the other Olympics, you do have an opportunity to go and explore a little bit more. And you had, obviously, much more freedom. The COVID part of this is, it's onerous. Uh, it's testing every single day. Um, the, 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 you know, you have to wear a mask everywhere. And I'm, I'm not complaining about that. But it's even outside. So realistically, you're never 
without a mask unless you're in your hotel room. And that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not all that pleasant. You know, you'd much rather be able to get outside and breathe the fresh air and enjoy uh, the, the place where you are. But we, we really can't do that. So you just deal with it. And that's been, that's kind of made it good for me in the sense that I've really thrown myself entirely into the coverage of the, of the Olympics and I've been doing the curling every day and it's been very rewarding work, really enjoyed being a part of covering it. Uh, and it's, you know, it's obviously been not the greatest Olympics for our Canadian curlers, but certainly full of news and interesting things to write about. Yeah, dominance is no fun. You got to have some intrigue. You got to have some adversity and let's start with the most recent and that is Brad Gushu winning bronze, the one Canadian team to get a medal. That was this morning. Uh, and the, he gets to play in the Briar, too, which is, I think, kind of odd. I didn't realize that was a thing. But uh, this team coming through and, and getting the bronze medal this morning, we saw a lot of emotion from Brad Gushu after they lost the semifinal. What do you sense this win means to him and that team? Well, I think it's very important. and I, And the reason why I think it means so much to them is that they came here with high hopes of winning gold, and they just didn't have a very good performance. And I am not—I'm uh, not saying anything that Brad Gushu wouldn't say himself. They did not play anywhere near as well as they felt like they would have needed to play to compete with the top teams here. They really, you know, t- for them to go five and four and then basically finish this event at six and five, despite with the bronze medal. That's not a good record for a Brad Gushu team. And they all said they couldn't remember a time when they had a record like that, that, you know, that was so close to 500, not, you know, not much better than that. And I think that what they really believe here is that they had to scrape and fight and claw and do everything they possibly could while fighting their own mistakes, while fighting some tricky ice conditions um, and fighting the excellence of some of these other teams here. For them to walk away with a medal means a lot. Uh, it's not gold. They wanted gold, obviously. Everyone in Canada expects or hopes that it'll be gold, and the curlers themselves expect and hope that it'll be gold. But they know that's not realistic anymore because it's just way too difficult to win against these teams. And so I'm I'm quite certain that winning bronze means a lot, and especially when they see what happened to the other two teams, the mixed doubles team and the Jennifer Jones team, all three of those teams went five and four in the round robin. Mm. The, the, the John Morris and Rachel Homan team, they lost out on head-to-head record with Sweden. The Jennifer Jones team, they lost out on, uh, you know, on the draw shot challenge. And the Brad, uh, the Brad Gushu teams, they get through just by sort of how the numbers work and they end up getting a medal. So it's, it's a pretty darn fine line. Well, all three of the Canadian teams controlled their destiny when it came to qualifying for the playoffs, Canada needed to, well, Canada, Brad Gushu got help and didn't really need to win this last game. Jennifer Jones loses to China in a game they should have won, then needs help after beating Denmark and they don't get it. And then the mixed doubles team loses on a measurement against the team that didn't end up losing at all and won gold. So it's, yeah. it's such a fine margin. Let's talk about Jones here. Again, they go five and four, lose out on draw shot challenge controversial way to decide a tie break but at the same time i've been reading your work this week ted and and following you on twitter perplexing that canada was just so bad at it this week and it wasn't just jennifer jones's team that was bad at it they were the worst in the field it wasn't really all that close 
that's bizarre because they were the best team in the draw shot challenge at the Olympic trials in November. Um, the Homan and Morris team dead last also in draw shot challenge and the Brad Jacobs team finished sixth. So that's pretty poor overall. I mean, Brad, or sorry, I said Brad Jacobs, Brad yeah, Gushu. Yeah. Brad Gushu, you know, was lamenting finishing sixth because he honestly considers himself, if not the very best player at uh, drawing to the button in the world, he considers himself one of them. And I think a lot of people would, would agree with that and the numbers would support it, but they did not have it. Uh, even the men did not have it. The, the women did not have it. They couldn't make it work. And I mean, yeah, it is not a great way to decide the uh, playoffs at the Olympics. It's, it was forget about not a great way. It's brutal. It's a, uh, there should be tiebreakers. There's just no doubt about that. But everyone knew this. Everyone knew how important it was. The Canadians practiced it. The The Jennifer Jones team were in Ontario having a training camp. And from everybody I've talked to, they spent a lot of time on it. And then they came here and they honestly couldn't get the rocks close. It was just, um, it was, you know, it was a real problem for them. And, you know, I was watching it all week, as you said, Christian, and I'm thinking, this is looking bad. Like you can't be in this position where you're tenth, and and you know, and it's too important. It's like an extra win if you're higher up in that in that list of the draw shot challenge, and it's like an extra loss if you're at the bottom. And that's exactly where it ended up for Canada. And honestly, um, the the harshest thing of all of this uh, when it comes to the Jennifer Jones team is that they finished tied for. Uh, for third and fourth place with Japan and Great Britain at five and four. And they're playing for gold. Great Britain was eighth in the draw shot challenge. Japan was ninth. Canada was 10th. Great Britain and Japan are playing for gold. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And looking at uh, the situation now, this is two straight Olympics where you know the medal hall maybe isn't where Canada's fans thought it should be. I don't think we need to have a, a curling summit to figure out what's going I, wrong because i think part of it is the world is good there are a lot of good teams in the world as well ted but is one thing and i saw colin hodgson tweet this out he wants the trials earlier than just a couple months before the olympic games is that a solution potentially to help teams peak better absolutely and i do think that there's a curling summit needed i really okay. do i think i think that you cannot accept the, the way that this has gone the last couple of Olympics and the last couple of world championships. Canada is falling behind. And it's very, you know, everyone who looked at the, particularly on the men's side, let's say the women's side here, we've got Japan and Great Britain in the final. I mean, I, you know, they are dedicated teams for their countries that are pretty close to it. But regardless, there were five and four teams at this Olympics and they're in the gold medal game. Obviously, Canada could have gotten in on that side could have happened in any of them realistically but um and and it was a uh, it was a game of millimeters so i'm just going to put that you know that's how you preface this but i think that there's a lot that needs to be discussed so maybe the word curling summit is a little strong but i did write about this uh christian and i have said that i believe that that should happen um but i do think that a lot needs to be discussed and i think the first thing they need to put on the table is exactly what colin hodgson said exactly what Brad Gushu said yesterday and Mark Nichols, that the Olympic trials should be in the, the season before, so probably at the end of it, most have been saying April or May, for both mixed doubles and for 
the four player curlers so that they have a lot more time to be team Canada, to be Olympians, to be prepared to come over here. And there could be, um, much more uh, involvement from on the podium and um, and from the Canadian Olympic Committee and from Curling Canada and whoever you need to give them the support and the training and everything that they need to be prepared to come here. I don't know for sure that that's going to work, but from the people that I've talked to, particularly the curlers themselves, they believe that that would be advantageous towards um, Canada being more successful there. And to me, that sounds like an easier solution than a lot of the other things that might be being proposed. But I, I don't know that you could talk to all that many curlers right now if you just went and did a poll who would say, this is all being done correctly and we're fine and everything will shake itself out. I think everyone thinks there needs to be some changes. So it's time to get all of the stakeholders, including the curlers themselves, into a room together and start coming up with ideas to make it work. Quickly, Ted, before I let you go, how's the food? <laughs> I know you always ask about uh -huh. that, Christian. I'm very interested. I, I think you'd be going hungry, my friend. Uh -oh. I got to tell you. It's, uh, I, I, it's, it's very, very limited in what we are able to do uh, food-wise. Um, I can eat at my hotel restaurant. I can eat at the main press center cafeteria or I can eat at the concession stand at the curling venue. The choices are very limited. There is the opportunity to get on a bus and go to a different hotel. And I have done that on a couple of occasions. And honestly, the food was better at those hotels than it is at my hotel. But it's not that easy to do that if you're covering a curling event at night. Um, and so the breakfast is good. There's a full buffet every day and it's uh it is it is the same food for three weeks so that gets a little <laughs> bit tiresome i must admit uh -huh. but uh it has a nice variety of uh chinese traditional dishes plus north american breakfast food and the rest of the day it's it, you know that when you go to the main press center for instance the food's not really very good but it's prepared by robots and that's exactly what this organization here in china wanted to be able to show the technology that they have um, and so you, you wait about 20 minutes to get, uh, some dumplings made by a robot. Well, they're just dumplings when they come out really no different than, you know, not, not anything particularly exciting. It, you know, it's, it's all fine, but I do think that the closed loop has limited those options for sure. You can't just walk to a restaurant that's right across the street. It might be the best restaurant in Beijing for all I know, but I couldn't possibly go there. Well, Ted, appreciate you coming on the show tonight uh, slash this morning for you. Appreciate it. Have a safe journey back home and uh, rest up in time for your next appearance right ahead of the briar. Right on. Okay. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's stick with university sports and the CFL announced this week that Oh, announced the list of players. Let's start over. The CFL announced this week the list of players invited to the National and Regional Combines, which happen next month. A number of Manitoba Bisons will be in attendance. Six players invited to the West Regional Combine, and the top players at the Regionals will get invites to the nat National Combine the following week. Already, though, getting the call to the National Combine, fourth-year defensive tackle Cole Adamson out of Oak Park High. The 22-year-old had 19 tackles last season, as well as a sack and a pass breakup in six regular season games. I caught up with Cole earlier today, and I asked him when he found out he was invited to the Combine. 
Uh, geez, I can't remember the exact date, but uh, sometime in January, uh, I got out of a dentist appointment, and my uh, coach Doby called me and told me I was going to the the national combine. And I was just kind of shocked at first, like, wow, pretty uh, pretty awesome invite to be uh, going there, and just was excited, ready to get start working. Okay, so you thought that the day was going to suck then because of the dentist appointment, and then it turned out to be pretty good, or do you not mind going to the dentist? Uh, don't mind to the dent. Go, don't mind going to the dentist, especially when it's it's good news when you're there. So uh, it wasn't too bad, but uh, yeah, it definitely turned into a pretty awesome day hearing about the news. How good did it feel to play football again after not getting to play in 2020? Uh, it felt pretty awesome. Like uh, it was a huge uncertainty for for everybody, and especially the way the my 2019 se- uh, season ended on an injury. Uh, it was just, it was pretty awesome to get back out there with all the teammates and, uh, you know, you just weren't even sure who was going to be coming back after, uh, after the, I guess the year break. And so to get back on that field, you, you really didn't realize how much you missed it till you were, you're back out there and playing with the boys again. So when you're going into your fourth season of eligibility in this past 2021 season, is the combine on your radar because you are become you know nearing the end of your university career is the CFL something you have to start thinking about in terms of your goals uh yeah definitely like ever since like playing football you kind of always wanted to play to be a professional that'd be kind of the the ultimate dream so it's like yeah I got what this is my fourth season uh and I got maybe one more left and uh this is my year of eligibility it's like I really got to put a performance on this season to really showcase uh, myself and uh, put me on the map of the uh, CFL's radar. And do you think you did a good job do- with that in 2021? Yeah, I definitely did. Uh, I think I did. I got an invite to the National Combine, and I was a, a Canada West All-Star. So uh, I guess amongst the, the Canada West, uh, I was acknowledged to be one of the better uh, D-tackles playing. So I was uh, I was really thrilled to to find out being an all-star and then yeah now this this year being uh selected to go to the national combine so you've got a little bit of time left before the combine it's at the end of march so do you have to really train between now and then to get ready for that uh yeah definitely well like training pretty much started like the off season started uh uh maybe a week or two after our last season so uh things were starting to get going but then as soon as i found out i was going to the combine it was like all right now we got to do a bit more combine specific get ready uh really bring up the athleticism for the the drills and i guess uh all the measurables i'll be doing there but uh i've had a pretty good routine so far of uh of the different uh regular football training and combine specific training so i guess i'll just keep carrying that on out for the last uh five weeks i have going on here does the CFL reach out to you or do you just get advice from your coach? How does the process work in terms of getting, knowing what to prepare for this combine? Yeah, I guess uh, there's no one, nothing too specific from the CFL. They kind of outline what you're going to be doing there, but uh, more so I've just kind of reached out to uh, my teammates. I have uh, a couple of their teammates that have been drafted and that had gone through the combine process. So I've kind of talked to them as well as speaking to my coaches. They've been very informative and working closely with my, my strength coach. Um, and there's also, I have other teammates that are going to uh, the other combines. So I've kind of been training with them and we've been doing more specific training as a group. So there's a, there's a good group of us that are all working together kind of towards the same goal. So that's just been a really good support system. And we're all kind of sort of uh, trying to achieve the same thing. Would Brock Gowanlock be one of the players you got advice from? 
<laughs> Definitely. Yeah. He's been a really, a really good mentor through this whole uh, com combine training system. And uh, just like one of my, my closest training buddies that we've been working together since the, uh, the season ended and even a great teammate throughout the season. So you played basketball and you played football when you were at Oak Park going to university. Was there any thought of basketball or was football always number one? Uh, there was a little thought of basketball because that was my first love. But uh, I knew as I was getting older that in my frame and size, I knew I'd be more uh, more of a dominant player at, uh, at football than basketball, especially for my position. I knew my, my height would be a bit lacking as a center in, uh, in youth sports. You're 6'5", right? Which once, mm -hmm. you know, it's great in high school, but there's going to be taller guys. Now, you're you're 290 pounds. That's your program weight. I mean, you'd be hard to box out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even, I'd say, playing at that weight would be pretty hard to play a 40-minute yeah, game up true. and down the court. <laughs> yeah, you might you might run yourself to a bit of a lighter weight there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so when did you first start playing football? Where did the, the love for the game start for you? Uh, I'm trying to think. It would have been... In... First year Adam, so that would have been, I want to say, like 10, 11 years ago. And uh, I don't even remember how I just signed up. My dad just signed me up. He played football growing up as a kid as well. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of started there. And I was always a bigger kid growing up. And then immediately kind of kind of fell in love with the game, I guess you could say. Uh, kind of cliche. But, uh, yeah, it was just a really fun team sport, you know. There was the more the merrier with friends growing up. There was just the big team aspect of it. Uh, and I really liked the physicality of it and the hitting. Um, and it was just, it was kind of a little different for basketball, but I still enjoyed basketball. But uh, I don't know, some of the football was just different that I really enjoyed and just continued playing until, you know. Were you always on the defensive side of the ball? No, I was kind of started off offensively as more of like a fullback and like an offensive lineman like I, I was pretty pretty quick for my size and then I played d-line uh, one one odd year and then it wasn't again till I switched back to kind of offense in, in JV football in high school and then it wasn't until grade 11 that I started playing uh, d-line at Oak Park and did you notice like this like a, a switch flipped or were you fine playing at whatever position you needed to play? Yeah, I was always kind of just fine. Whatever position I needed to play, I kind of enjoyed anything. Like I played pretty much all positions growing up, but then uh, in JV, I was playing uh, like a slot back receiver. And then I played, uh, I took a couple reps in playoffs at D-line. And I really noticed like it was kind of fun to just go after the ball instead of having to try to put the ball in the end zone. It was just really the enjoyment of having to be able to tackle somebody and trying to uh, trying to stop them is really kind of like wow this is this is might be my position for me and so then uh, from there in grade eleven it was just then on I was I was set to be a, a D lineman. When you see guys like Nick Dembski and Andrew Harris, these Oak Park products make it to the CFL, does that it draw? Does that give you inspiration? Yeah, definitely. Like uh, how the past couple seasons there was three Oak Park players on. Uh, on the Bombers, including uh, Brady Oliveira as well to that group. It was just um, definitely inspiring to – could be cool to be another uh, another uh, Blue Bomber uh, – Oak Park player on the Blue Bombers. But sadly, Andrew Harris isn't there anymore. But uh, definitely inspiring that uh, all of them came from the same high school that I did and I could have the same story as them. Did you have a football idol growing up? Uh, I wouldn't think – no, I wouldn't say so. Um I wasn't uh, I wasn't huge on watching football growing up. I was more uh, I found basketball more entertaining, but 
I guess now that I've gotten more into the game, I, I've really like um, focused on watching the uh, techniques and uh, the skills of the D lineman and paid more close attention to them to try and see if I can take it away of their their play and add it to mine. So I guess you could say now I more so watch Aaron Donald and the, the top D lineman that uh, play in the NFL. So when you see Donald just completely wreck the Cincinnati offensive line, you see that and you're like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I wonder what what's different between me and him, and how how come he can do that and I can't? <laughs> it's because he's one of the best that's ever been. Let's be let's be fair to you. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, it's uh, you really have an appreciation uh, for what he does on the field, and you can understand not everybody could do that. And it's it's really special to watch him play. So outside of uh, training for the combine, what do you have on your plate between now and your final season of eligibility this fall with the Bisons? Uh, well, currently still working uh, towards my engineering degree, so that doesn't stop right now for the uh, combine training. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's quite a big uh, a workload to be uh, handling right now, but uh, just trying to get it all done and pass and uh, become academically all Canadian another year. But uh, for the most part, that's what I, I kind of have just uh, my goal set on is just uh, school and uh, training for the combine well, until but- that uh, comes. Yeah, my dad is, was an engineer, and he told me about how much studying he had to do in university. So between that and your training, do you have any downtime at all? Uh, yeah, there's a bit of downtime okay. I, can, uh, I can find. And I have a girlfriend as well, so I have to uh, um, hang out with her and all that. So And as well, You say it like it's a chore. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I do. Uh, I enjoy hanging out with her. But That's it's, good. Uh, it's it's just it, it could be tough sometimes with a, a pretty full week in in training and, and with school. Right. Well, I'll I'll let you get back to it. Appreciate your time, Cole. Thanks for this, and a good luck with everything. No problem. Thank you very much, Cole Adamson, defensive lineman for the Manitoba Bisons. I had to needle him for the way he answered that question. That was funny. He's twenty two. It's fine. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what. You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the day.